Hey, my name is Steve Sims, author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. And if you want to learn how to define your best life and have the courage to live it, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate podcast with my friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate podcast. This week on the show, I have an interview with Steve Sims. Steve is an amazing dude with such an interesting past and so many stories to tell. I am really looking forward to you hearing this interview and it's so much value from Steve. He really has such a crazy, crazy past and story. Just a little bit about Steve. Do you know anyone that has worked with Sir Elton John or Elon Musk? Sent people down to see the wreck of the Titanic on the seabed or closed museums in Florence for a private dinner party and then had Andrea Bocelli serenade them while they ate their pasta? You do now. Quoted as the real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, Steve Sims is a best-selling author with Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Sought-after consultant and a speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard twice. He has these amazing groups that he put together that are speakeasies where he just takes you on these adventures that you could never imagine otherwise. He also has simsdistillery.com, which is an opportunity for you to interact with him and learn from his experiences and gain knowledge from him and other people. And he has this amazing group on Facebook, The Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. You should absolutely check all of that out. I cannot wait for you to hear from Steve. Before we jump into that, I just wanted to take a minute to ask you if you are seeing the success that you want to see in your business and your life. Are you living the life that you've always wanted? Do you have experiences that you are excited to tell people about? Do you have a life that you're excited to talk about? If the answer to those questions is no, I have an opportunity that may help. I've put together a define your life mastermind. The reality is you cannot accomplish anything in life if you cannot define it. So in this mastermind, we'll get really clear on what success means to you, what business means to you, what a career looks like, what money looks like. You can see what a whole well-rounded life looks like to you. And then we'll go ahead and put action steps in so that you can start to move closer to those goals that are going to allow you to accomplish your dreams. I'll give you that little shove that you need sometimes to get you out of your comfort zone. And we'll give you the courage to go out there and live that best life that you have have defined in that mastermind. It's going to be amazing. And I really, I know it's going to be so impactful. So if you or somebody that you know is looking for additional success in your life is not quite seeing the success that you want, please reach out to me. We have a few more spots available in the mastermind. I would love to connect with you and see if you're a good fit or if we're a good fit to work together. You can schedule a call with the Calendly link that's in the show notes, or you can email me at amber at amberferman.com. I look forward to hearing from you, but without further ado, let's go ahead and get to the interview with Steve Sims. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show with me. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. I am super, super excited to have you. I just finished um, listening to your book, Bluefish, <laughs> and I am super excited to get it. It's one of those audiobooks that I feel like 
I have to listen to and then I have to go highlight and find all the good nuggets out of it. So I want both, both audio and written. It's a very good book. There's so much amazing stuff in there though about your story. And I, I kind of want to jump back a little bit and start with what it was like for you growing up and, and what you thought your life was going to look like. Because anybody who knows you knows that you have a very unorthodox life right now as far as like what you do with your job and things to that effect. What did you think your life was going to look like when you were growing up? Didn't know. And I think that's the thing about all entrepreneurs. We, we, we don't know. We go out there, we're misfits, we're weirdos, we're the kids from, we're the kids from Hogwarts. We know as entrepreneurs where we don't fit more times than when we know we do fit. So as a kid growing up in East London, you know, I grew up in the 80s, so we never had Instagram to, to tell me that everyone else was richer and prettier than me. So I never had any of that. And so I just grew up going, is this it? Is this really what my life's going to be? Now, I was on streets like most kids in that era where their granddad was like two doors down the road and their cousins and uncles were like two doors down the other side. No one ever ventured out far and you were almost ostracized. It was kind of like, well, why do you want to leave the street? You know, <laughs> family's always been here. I was like, really? Are you kidding? So growing up, you know, I finished school at 15, uh, did not go to college, did not go anywhere other than my dad's building site. You know, two days after leaving school, that was it. I was on a building site with like, you know, 50, 60, 70 year old drunken Irish guys just building bricks and building houses and, you know, this kind of thing. And I just thought, this can't be it. And I couldn't settle. And a lot of people at the time called it ADD. Uh, my <laughs> mum just thought I was going to be in prison because I could, I could never concentrate. I could never focus. Again, doesn't sound unfamiliar. That's what right. the entrepreneur is like. And I did something a little bit silly. A friend of mine was a stockbroker from London. He had done really well. He had gone to college. He was smart. His dad was in the financial world. And this was of the period of Wall Street and all of those movies and the, the cell phones that were attached to briefcases. Do you remember those? Yes. Um, well, you won't, but you've probably seen them on pictures in the past. But, you know, that kind of thing. And I wanted that. You know, I spent every day on a building site getting rained on, getting cold, cutting my hands up. I wanted to be in a fancy car, in a fancy pinstripe suit and you know, buy, sell. For some reason, I just wanted that. He had a, a connection where they were hiring interns to go to Hong Kong to train up as stockbrokers. And he said, I could get you in. You know how to talk to people. And that's the only thing I did have. An Irish, an Irish Londoner, we could talk the back ass off a donkey. You know, we had no <laughs> problem with that. And he got me an interview. And somehow, shock, horror, surprise, they actually accepted me in the interview to, to send me to Hong Kong. Now, here was the daft thing. They didn't actually look at my resume. They were recruiting 60 spots. So I just floated through that kind of mass hiring and I landed on the Saturday, got drunk with them on the Saturday, got drunk with them on the Sunday, did orientation on the Monday and I was fired on the Tuesday. <laughs> so now I'm in a completely different country, no connections, no backup, no one to fall on. And I think it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, it's so crazy that you say that because when I started my entrepreneurial journey, I ran across a quote by, I think, Richard Branson that said, when somebody offers you an amazing opportunity, you say yes and figure out how to do it later. 
And I grew up in this nine to five mentality where that just wasn't how I was raised. And so the idea of being an entrepreneur and just saying yes and writing that out to wherever it goes and then seeing what's next was so foreign to me. And that's what I love about your story is you just say yes and then you figure it out and whatever's going to happen will happen. Yeah, 100%. That was my early stage. Like all entrepreneurs, we have to learn two words. We have to, work, we, we have to learn the word yes to accept those opportunities. In accepting those opportunities, we quite often as entrepreneurs find out that we said yes too fast. We quite often find out that we are inadequate to do a certain thing or we have priced it too little or it has taken us too long or we've lost our shirt on doing it. So once you learn that, then the next word for you to learn is the word no. And therefore you can prioritize and accepting events and experiences and opportunities that you are now adequate for, but you can't do it in reverse and you can't do it at the same time. You've really got, because I, I believe that, I believe that I am a hugely educated individual. But I reckon, and openly state, school had nothing to do with that education. My failures, my screw-ups, my mistakes, my inabilities, my inadequacies, that's what's granted me my MBA and PhD. Yeah, I, since, since we're on this topic, I want to jump to something on your book before we get into a little bit more of what you're doing with your business now. One of the things that really stuck out in your book to me was your conversation about what happens when kids hear no and when we hear no over and over again. And that really jumped out at me that this idea that at some point in time we're told no so many times that we actually start to listen to it was crazy to me because then you grow up and as an entrepreneur, no is what you want to hear because that's where you finally get to get into the nitty gritty of what you can do. Yeah, it's, it's no can be a double-edged sword. It can be the end or it can be the fuel. And you've always got to bear in mind that it's never the word, it's the source that it came from. So when you're sitting there in your local coffee shop or your local, or in your office or in your living room with your mates and you go, hey, I'm going to start a hairdressing business. You'll get those that go, really? Why are you doing that? You know, you got no hair. You know, there's going to be those people that will ask you questions which challenge your commitment and belief. You want those. But then you're going to get a crab. And you're going to discover those. You're going to discover the crab in your life that turns around and went, oh, that'll never work. <laughs> There's nothing positive. There's nothing challenging. There's nothing force enforcing about the statement. They openly want the event to go no further. And nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, is because they, want to, they don't want to be shown up as inadequate to be able to do it. You see, I look at the people around me to go, you can never do that. And realize while they're pointing one finger at me, they're pointing four at themselves. Most people say you can't do that because they don't want to be shown up that you can. So I never listen to the word no. I listen to the source that it comes from. And that will often fuel me. Yeah, I really like that a lot. And I remember hearing something similar at one point of time around failure, where they said, when somebody looks at you and says you failed, what they're actually saying is that if I was in your position, I would feel like I failed. And that to me was super powerful. Yeah, it's, it's failure is a funny word and it deserves a conversation. 
because you only fail when you stop. Now, at the moment, we're in coronavirus time. I don't know when this podcast is being released, but we're recording this during the, the coronavirus pandemic. On an hourly basis, vaccines are failing. You know, they are trying to create a vaccine and they're not getting it yet. Now, if they were to fail, then it would mean that they would stop, walk away, go home and get a different job. You have to fail at things in order to get to the next step. I, a friend of mine said to me, um, everything you do, Steve's going to be shit. And I remember him saying that to me. And I remember thinking, well, that's not very nice. You know, that, <laughs> that's not encouraging. He said, no, no, no. He said, I've just given you permission. And it got into the conversation. Everything we do for the first time is shit. But we can't get good until we get going. I guarantee you, the first time you ever did a podcast, it was crap compared to how it is now. Oh, absolutely. I when I, yeah, I remember when I did my podcast and they all go, oh, you know, do 18 episodes or 10 episodes first, release all 10. And so you do these 10 episodes and then you go back to the first one and go, oh, ouch, that's, that's horrible. And you, you end up, I remember we did 18 and we scrapped like 10. So I was lucky for that. The first website you have, you forget to put the contact page on it. I did that. I forgot to put a contact page on my first ever website. You know, whenever you do absolutely anything, the first time you do it, compared to if you stay with it, is going to comparably be shit. So when you, can, when you actually accept that, as my friend said, he gave me permission. When you're given permission that the first time you do anything, it ain't going to be perfect. It may not even be good but it's going to get you going too good. That's when it really, that's when it really can like light you up. That's when it really makes sense. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I'll even go one step further on that conversation and say that like, obviously this isn't some line that goes up and you continually go up. Like I did a podcast interview a couple of days ago and got off and said, man, that was definitely not the best interview I've ever done. Good thing <laughs> I'm getting better at this failing thing so I can roll with the punches on that. I'll give you something on that. So and I'll name drop just to you know, <laughs> pee anyone off out there. I was walking through SpaceX with a gentleman called Elon Musk. And I had taken two clients with me to meet him. And one of them was just happy to be in the presence of Elon. The other one was trying everything to have a conversation with Elon Musk, you know, and he's not really a very talkative fella. And he, he wouldn't shut up. He was just begging to have a conversation. And I don't know why he came out with this statement, but we're walking through SpaceX is where they do all the, the space rockets and the fuselage and everything. And as they were walking through, the guy turned around and they went, oh, how do you feel that you know, NASA kind of ridiculed you at first? But hey, now they're, now they're going to be your client. And without breaking a stride, Elon turned around and he said, they laugh at you before they applaud. And I realized when I looked at the clients I was dealing with, the mentors that I had, you mentioned Richard Branson, met and worked with Richard many times. When you look at all of these people, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, anyone that you want to look at, Colonel Sanders, absolutely anyone you want to look at, they failed numerous times. In fact, I will go as far as to say, they are serial failures. 
They have failed way more times than they've been successful. But if they hadn't have failed, they wouldn't have found that success. You see, your greatest growth doesn't come from you being successful at something. It comes at you failing at something and then going, eh, that's how it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, you know when, a, when a racing driver goes around a racetrack, he wants to get better at speed and he wants to get better at time. But when he spins off, he knows, all right, too much throttle on that corner. I can get faster by not, that's where your growth is. So anyone that's having trouble out there, anyone that's making mistakes, anyone that's failing, you're just getting the education you need in order to be successful. Yeah, 100%. I love that. So moving back just a little bit into what you do with your company, because I think it's completely fascinating that your speakeasies that you're able to create for individuals and really in this environment or business of creating experiences for people, how did that come about for you? How did you find yourself in that type of an environment? Well, it's, I can't say I planned it. In fact, I often say that, you know, any business plan should be written at maximum length on the back of a postcard. Anything, anything bigger than that doesn't need to be on there. In fact, I would love to see a business plan that got released in December or January that said, we're going to look good for a couple of months and then we're going to pause because of the pandemic. You know, no one can plan for anything. So I, I, as I said earlier, I get going, then I get good. Once I realized that I didn't have a job. I literally went with the most basic cliche motivational comment ever that you are the combination of the five people you hang out with. Okay. So I realized that all of the people I was hanging out with was broke ass bikers and that wasn't going to get me far. So I started hanging around with affluent people, trying to communicate with them, starting to ask them questions, learning how to converse with people. Because I was an irritating Irish dad going, oh, how come you've got so much money? You know, that's the wrong question, you know? So I learned the questions to ask in order to be able to communicate with the right people. As I was a doorman on nightclubs, what I knew was where all the best parties were. So in the early days, for me to be able to communicate with affluent young people, my target clientele, I gave them something they wanted. I gave them, because this was pre-Google, I gave them knowledge of where all the best parties were. And then I started throwing parties. And then I started marketing and branding their parties to be good. And then people will ask me, well, do you know so-and-so? Again, typical entrepreneur, I'll be like, I do. And then I would go and find <laughs> out how. So through it, I became the most connected man to be able to pull off the most amazing. And Forbes, an entrepreneur, called me the real-life Wizard of Oz. I've sent people with James Cameron down to see the wreck of the Titanic. I've taught people to play drums with Guns N' Roses. Guitar was easy top. Be on stage and sing with the rock band Journey. Walk on rolls on movies. Driving Formula One cars. Getting married in the Vatican. I've been the guy that's pulled off the most amazing experiences in the world and worked with events from Sir Elton John's Oscar party to Formula One, uh, Monaco, New York uh, Fashion Week, Kentucky Derby. That's been my range of 30 years. And I noticed one thing that was complete in all of the people I communicate. And now as I've moved in to doing my private speakeasy events and communicating with my coaching clients and my tribe, the only thing I needed to maintain that was the ability to communicate. And in order to communicate, you got to bring something to the party. 
And I noticed very, very early on, and again, I didn't realize it's nugget at the time, but in order for me to speak to someone that was affluent, in the early stages, I had to start the conversation by telling them where the best club was. And once I'd hooked them in that, I'd say to them, do you want me to let you, uh, do you want me to get you in? Let me see what I can do. And so you always pause for effect <laughs> and you go, then sometimes I'd just go to the toilet and then come back and go, all right, I've made a phone call. You know, no, I've just gone to the toilet, but I'd always created this kind of expectation. You know, this, this, can he do it? Can he do it? Can, yeah. I just went for a while, came back and I'd already knew I could get you in. And so I created this kind of uh, euphoria, this anticipation, and it grew from there. I learned that people like that. They like to be communicated with as real people. And anybody that I speak to from any of the big names we drop, I turn up at the party bearing gifts. I always come to the conversation with a value. And this could be like, hey, I hear you're trying to get a book out. I've got some really good people and I bring something with me. So I always bring value to every kind of relationship that I have. And that's been my secret source from then to it is now. And again, if I went back to maybe my earlier conversations, I'm sure I'd go, oh, that was a bit rough around the edges. But again, <laughs> it got me going. Now I'm a little bit more smooth and you know, know the kind of uh, things to say and, and how to bring it in. But yeah, that's, that's been my life plan. Yeah, I love the bringing value first. And so many people say, what is it possibly that I could bring to this person that you look at and seems to be on such a higher, I don't want to say higher level, because I don't like to think of people as higher or lower, but they seem to have more accomplishments. They're more sought out. They're in the public eye. What could I possibly bring to them? But we all have so many amazing connections in our network that have connections to other people. And this is why I think that your network is one of your most powerful things that you have. Because if you can't bring value to that person, you know somebody who can. Yeah, I've gone up to powerful people. Now, here's the first thing. You're right. Never put them on a pedestal. And I'll give you a little story. I, had a, I was working in Los Angeles, and I was working at the time for Eve Branson, which is Richard's mum. And she had an event called Rock the Casbah, and I was helping put it together and market it and brand it. And I wanted to introduce Richard to a friend of mine, okay? Sorry, a client of mine. Well, yeah, he's a friend, a client of mine. And so Richard was doing what he does. He, you know, he takes one step forward, shakes hands, one step forward. Everyone wants a photograph and to shake hands with Richard Branson. So he's walking towards me, and my client is getting ready to finally meet and be introduced to Sir Richard Branson. Just as Richard gets in front of us, he's just doing his last handshake my client literally starts to bow, starts to just cower down a little bit. He's in the presence of greatness. Now we laugh, but you'll be surprised how many people do this. He starts to literally just lower himself just slightly. And I noticed him doing it. Now I will tell you, I'm a big lad. <laughs> my boy's a bigger lad, okay? I smacked him on the back of the head, okay? And he just stood up and turned around and glared at me. You know, how dare I actually hit him in front of, and Richard hadn't seen it yet, he hadn't quite made it up. How dare I strike him in this public event? So Richard said, how dare I lay my hands on him? But you know, just at that moment, Richard stood in front of us, I made the introduction. My client, with all of his fierceness, chest out, shoulders back, focus on his face, was now in front of Richard and went, 
how you doing? And, <laughs> and introduced himself. And they got off onto a conversation. Why? Because my client hadn't put him on a pedestal. If you're going to have a conversation with someone, why start by putting them on the top of the ladder? You know, yeah. why do that? It makes no sense. But we do it. We go, oh, no, I could never do that. And what do we do? And I did it with my body language there. The, way, the second they got on, oh, we could, we cower down. We literally lower our head. It's, it's a weird kind of thing that's actually built into us. But when we see someone that's supposed to be the head of the pride, the head of the pack, we, cower, we lower our body slightly so as not to intimidate and not to confront. So that's, what the, that's the kind of things that we do. And if you're going to speak to someone, especially with today, cyber stalk them you know look up their name look up their google look up their images i love images uh because it shows where they've done look up their social feed look up whatever they're involved in and come up with a solution now let's say for argument's sake that the person that you want to deal with is some big shot in your local town google their name go to images and see where the if their images are showing them always with horses always with vintage race cars, always with kids. You're now building up some kind of identity of what they like. And then if they support a local school, or if they support, or if they're launching a new business, or if they're doing whatever it is, come up with a solution and then contact them and go, hey, Jerry, I saw that you're building a complex just down the road from the local school and come up with that. I've got an idea how that could be marketed. Have you thought about this? You're bringing a solution. Now, here's the key. There's something going around now which bothers me an immense amount. People contact me and they go, hey, Steve, if I can be of any help, just let me know. So I text back to those people and I go, well, actually, my bulldog needs to be washed. So if you could be here on Tuesday at 7 o'clock, wash him in the bath, I'd appreciate it. And you're always going back going, well, That's I, not I, what I meant. yeah, I'm not in the area. I'm actually contacting you from Australia, Steve. And why does you helping me now become my job? Why yeah. is it now my stress to find a way that you can help me? That is not alleviating stress. I have gone to people and I've gone, Hey, I've seen you involved in this new project. I was doing a bit of uh, just kind of tapping on it. Have you considered this, 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 and this, and this? You're showing that you are a problem solver, okay? And they like that process. They like the fact. And I've gone up to people, very powerful people. I've gone, hey, I'm seeing you involved in this. And I saw you had a stumbling block here. Have you considered this, this, this? And they've looked at me and they've gone, yeah, we did. And either, yeah, we came up with that but it shows that I'm on the same mind path as them. I've also had people turn around to me and gone, we didn't think about that, but you know, we can that project about a month ago. Or I've had people go, actually, we stopped that project this morning at nine o'clock. And I've gone, oh, but people want problem solvers, regardless of what the problem is. And I've never had anyone turn their back on me. Even when I've got the solutions wrong, they've always turned around and gone, ah, we're not doing that anymore. But, I like the way you think. Would you take a stab at this? Sure. Send me the details. Let me see what I can come up with. So people like problem solvers. People don't like problem passers. So whenever you go forward to someone, don't go, hey, if you need anything, say to them, hey, these are funny times. What are you doing with your web? 
What are you doing with your copy? What are you doing with your outreach? What are you doing with your marketing? What are you doing with your design? I can help. Be specific. Otherwise, you're going to get me off him to have you wash my dog. Yes, I love that so much. I, I remember multiple people that I've talked to about this, about the idea of bringing value, have said that they just, that's one of their biggest pet peeves because it's the lazy way to pretend like you're interested in helping somebody. Yeah. Like it it's is. the lazy way in. One of the things I really want to talk about, I know that we're going to be wrapping up here soon. I want to be respectful of your time, <coughs> but we talk about authenticity so much on this podcast. And I, Authenticity is one of those things that really um, changed my life because I was not living from a place of it. But when I read your book, I know that there is a very specific view that you have on authenticity that I really resonated with on this idea that if you're trying to be authentic, you're not being authentic, like just stop that stuff. Can you kind of talk about where you came to that conclusion? So I hate the word authenticity. <laughs> And you know I do. That's why you said it, just to spark me off. Whenever we turn around and we say, oh, God, that's so authentic, we're acknowledging that the rest of the planet is not. And it's like looking at someone and applauding them because they're breathing through their nostrils. Oh, look at him. He's breathing. It should be something that's natural. So a lot of people then turned around and started playing the authentic card, playing the vulnerability, playing the pity play and going, oh, you know, I apologize for getting angry about that. It, it just works me up. You know, I'm just, I'm just being me. I'm just being authentic. This is how I feel. Anyone that says that they're being authentic should be shot, okay? I'm a great believer in being transparent. I love the word transparency. In fact, I would like people to stop using the word authenticity and I would like to start having people use the word transparency. You see, with me, this is what you get, okay? If you like it, great, come and chat with me. If you don't, hey, no harm, no foul. I'm not for everyone. But I don't want you confused when you get in a, in a one square radius of me, okay? I don't want you confused when you start a conversation with me. Don't come to me thinking you're going to get long words with like, 30,000 syllables in them and words I can't spell. It's not going to happen. I like transparency. I'm going to come to you and go, hey, I've got something I can bring to the party. I know you've got something I can bring to the party. Can we do a swap? I want to be transparent. And I find that transparency alleviates concern. Here's the thing. Whenever I go up to a famous celebrity in, Ho in Hollywood, I always start, I go, hey, how you doing? My name's Steve Sims. We've never met. Now, that's the most obvious thing in the planet but it's getting one of the elephants out of the room. The next thing is they're looking at me going, well, does he want a selfie? Is he going to try and pitch me to uh, be on my movie? Has he got a product that he wants me to endorse? And I turn around and go, hey, you don't mean, I've got nothing to sell, but I know you're doing a book or I know you're supporting a charity. I've, and that's where I bring in my, my party piece, okay? I am very transparent. When people meet me, Within two minutes, they know my name. They know they've never met me before. I'm stating the obvious, but believe me, it's a good thing to do. I've shown them, demonstrated that I paid attention to what they're involved, and I brought a solution to the party. I allow people to relax. Why? Because they know why I'm in front of them. My goal is 100% transparent. They can see through. Because how many times... And you know it. Let, let me play a little game with you. You're in a networking party, okay? Mm -hmm. 
and across the room, someone makes eye contact with you. And all of a sudden, they start coming towards you. You've never met them before. You're in a networking party. Everyone in the networking party knows you. Maybe you threw the party yourself. And this person that you've never met is making a beeline for you. What's going through your head? I'm looking for the opportunity to determine whether they are the connector that wants to get to know me or whether they're the person that's going to come vomit what they're trying to sell on me. And I, I'm trying to decide based upon when they're coming up to me, which one of those two kinds of people they are. Both of those things are now putting you on guard. Mm -hmm. Multiply that to the point that you are the captain of an industry. You are a fortune 500 mogul. You are a rock star. You are an artist. You are a famous person, even an influencer. And you can times your guard by a thousand. Okay, so when you get to someone, they are there on guard. And I've stood next to, to, to people that I've had really good conversations with, and they're all relaxed and they're all chilling. And then they get that eye contact thing, and their body just sharpens up. Now, a lot of people go, Oh, you know, superstars, artists, rock stars, business, they're so, so full of themselves. No, they're guarded. Most of them are scared shitless, going, What do you want? Yeah. And so if you can get in front of them and reduce that hesitation quickly by going, hey, my name's Mary, we've never met before, you start lowering their guard and they start realizing you're a person and you want to engage in a, you're being transparent. And people just want to know, we are concerned at the moment, we are in a planet of mass distortion and distraction and noise and there's no fact. We don't know what's going on tomorrow. We have no idea. And that's what's concerning. If you imagine, if I said to you, hey, this Friday at 10 o'clock, a vaccine will be discovered and every single door and the world will open up again at 10.30 and we will be back to normal. No masks, no social distancing, 10.30 this Friday. What would you do differently? The first thing you would do is smile because you've got an answer. You've got an, and you'll go, well, okay, I got five days. Oh, I should bake those cakes. Oh, I should try and finish off that book I was reading. Oh, I should finish off my garden. You know, because we've got an end time to it. It's like when you go on holiday and you've got a two week holiday, the last few days of your holiday, you try to pack in as much as you can because you know when the holidays are. We work better when we've got a finite date, when we've got a, a time stamp. And that's the same as when people are communicating with each other. They don't know what's going on and no one likes the unknown. So be as crystal clear, bring that clarity and bring the transparency. Yeah, I really like transparency. And I'll be honest with you, when I read your book, I had to reread that section just a little bit because I knew that like I had used authenticity so much. And so I had to step back and be like, what does that mean to me? And I realized that I was using the word authenticity when I should have been using the word honesty. Like, am I being honest with myself about what yeah. I want to accomplish? So I want to go ahead and just switch gears just a little bit. I ask every single person this question on this podcast, what is your specific definition of success for yourself? How do you know when you're being successful? Well, I'm very wealthy. I should say that loud and clearly. And so my definition of wealth, which I would say is the same definition as success, is knowing that my kids are fed, 
my wife is safe, the lights are on, when I turn that tap, the water's going to come out. It doesn't matter how many cars and bikes I've got. It doesn't matter whether I'm flying first class or, or you know, economy. It doesn't matter if I'm catching a, a, a bus or an Uber. Wealth to me is to be able to go to bed at night knowing that the following day has no, has no issues. That's true wealth. That removal of stress, being able to sleep easy. Now, we don't always get it. Sometimes a contract goes south. Sometimes a event we're planning. Sometimes there's distraction, distortion. But at the moment, I can truly tell you that I'm happy and satisfied and successful and wealthy, even in today, because I know my family have enough food. My family can survive. We're doing okay. And I've provided a, a warm home that I'm spending more time with the family. So it's really that go to bed at night. Are you going to bed at night worrying or are you going to, going to bed at night panicking and concerned and the removal of that latter is for me what success is i love it that's such a great answer so for those that want to follow up with you first of all your book is packed with so much value so anybody who has not read your book i suggest that they go get it like yesterday what is the best place for somebody to purchase your book well, it's, we better tell them the name for a start. <laughs> it's called uh, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. The easiest way is Amazon. And uh, uh, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen can be found there on Kindle, audio. I actually did the audio. So if you find my accent a little bit hard now, you're going to have even more trouble on the audio. <laughs> but anything can be found there on Amazon. You can even go to stevedsims.com, D for dog. There's only one M in Sims. So stevedsims.com and you can even find all the links there. So if you've got a favorite bookseller like you know, Barnes and Noble or Books a Million or anything like that, then you can probably find it on there as well. And the links are on there. Perfect. And if anybody wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I have a private Facebook group, which is free for anyone. It's called an Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. You can go there. You can go and sit, find me at Instagram. Uh, you can send an email to ask at stevedsims.com. I'm very easy to find and I'm very easy to connect with. Perfect. So before we wrap up, let's just do a quick random round. Let everybody get to know you. Get in Steve Sims' head for just a minute. Is that okay? Ouch. Right. Scared. Nervous. <laughs> let's do it. All right. If, and this is, this is an interesting question for you. If you could do anything, if you could have any profession other than what you currently do, what would you, what would you like to do? You're going to hate this one. Gardener. I love gardening really? at the weekend. I just love the solitude. I just love gardening and doing bushes. So I would say that, you know, my life has been quite crazy. So, you know, I, I, I think I would just become a gardener. <laughs> okay. And if you could time travel, where would you go and why? I would actually go back to World War II and I would interview Hitler and I would ask him, what are you scared of? Because this guy did so much damage, so much evil. I wanted to, I want to know what the underlying push was on that. What was the cause for that reaction? What was he terrified of that made him do all the terrifying things? Wow. That's super powerful. I like that a lot. As far as books are concerned, are you a book reader or an audiobook listener? I'm a book reader for two reasons. One, I like to be able to see how much of the books left. And I like the tactility. I, I like the fact that you can be doing many, many different things when you're doing, when you're listening to an audio book, but you can't be doing many, many things when you're reading a book. 
So I'm definitely a, I'm a paper, paper reader. Perfect. And as far as recommendations, what book do you think you've recommended to people the most? Well, obviously, Bluefish in the Ice. Yes. I would say the books that I've really enjoyed recently, and I believe it's very current. I think we have, we, we've, social distancing has removed the ability for us to connect. And we have realized that we're upset about it. So I've been reading a lot of books from the 80s and 90s that talk about communication and building up relationships. And I think we need, and we're going to, bring that period back. Okay, how many of us are out there can't wait to hug our neighbor or give a handshake to someone? So the books I've been reading have all been about triggers and emotional context. So the books I've really been uh, enjoying again, anything by Jay Abraham. Jay Abraham, he's a god, he's a personal friend of mine, but he's just brilliant. (laughs) Um, So Jay is more current now than when he was doing it in the 80s and 90s. I just finished um, Joe Sugarman, a book called Triggers. Very easy read. And if you want something with a few cool stories in it, Chris Voss split the difference. He's an FBI negotiator and he talks about the art of negotiation. So I would say those three. Yeah, I definitely agree on Chris's book for sure. Okay. And lastly, because I'm a music nerd and I have to get in everybody's music head, what's your pump up song? Mm. I change it so many times. And just to give you an example, I have a very expensive audio system. I have Macintosh and BMW as my audio system. And we spent the price of a, of a decent car on that. Yet when I bought the TV, I went down to see the unbox section of Best Buy and think I spent 1200 bucks on the TV. So I prioritize music and we always have it on random. So I could have Andrea Bocelli followed by Metallica, followed by Lady Antebellum. But when I'm about to go on stage, I usually end up playing some, something off of the album 10 by Pearl Jam or probably the, the, uh, the Foo Fighters. Uh, probably something like that to get me all kind of riled up. So yeah, that would probably, probably by the Foo Fighters, something like that. Love it. Well, I really, really appreciate your time. And again, um, we will put the links to your Facebook group, your Instagram, and then also your book um, in the show notes for people to track down. But I really appreciate your time today. I've had fun. Thanks for the questions. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.